0: Back in June, a federal judge ruled Indiana's same-sex marriage ban unconstitutional. Hundreds of couples rushed to county clerk's offices across the state to say their vows before a stay was put on the decision as the state appealed the case. This week, the scene was quite different. The U.S. Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage in Indiana when it decided not to hear appeals from five states. But the county clerk's offices were largely quiet. Gay rights activists say there isn't a sense of urgency this time around, since, since the Supreme Court's decision seems to provide some finality to the issue. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and today on Noon Edition, we'll speak with guests about what this means for state policies and for society at large, and we'll discuss what issues still need to be resolved. We invite you to join the conversation after this hour's news. TV. More information at Smithville.net.
1: And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu.
0: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Same-sex marriage is legal again in Indiana, earlier than most people had expected, given the way the court uh, cases were were, were playing out. But in a surprise move earlier this week, the U.S. Supreme Court decided not to hear appeals from five states trying to ban same-sex marriage. That meant lower court rulings striking down the bans were put into effect. So in the next hour, we'll speak with guests about what legalizing same-sex marriage means for the state of Indiana, uh, both for policies and for society at large, and we'll discuss what issues still need to be worked out. So we have three guests with us, two in the studio and one on the phone, who are going to help us sort through all the issues. Beth Kate is here with us. Beth is an attorney who teaches in the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. Uh, She certainly keeps a close eye on what the Supreme Court is doing. Brian Powell is the James H. Rudy Professor and Department Chair in the Department of Sociology at Indiana University. He co-authored a book, Counted Out, Same-Sex Relationships and Americans' Definitions of Family. And Doug Mellinger is with us. Doug is an Indianapolis resident who married his partner on Monday afternoon after the stay was lifted. So if you have uh, questions or comments, please phone us at 855 855- 0811 in Bloomington or one 285 9348 You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash And you can follow us on Twitter at noonedition. So, Brian and Beth, welcome back. And, Doug, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks, Thanks very you. much. Thank
0: All right. Well, I I thought, you know, we've done a couple of shows on this issue because it keeps moving. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. moving so rapidly, Mm -hmm, actually. mm -hmm. But, uh, Beth, I thought we'd start with you because, you know, you are the Supreme Court um, observer. (laughs) And so explain to us what this means. I mean, I think— you know, I, I tried to say in the beginning, before, in the little um, blurb I did before the news, that it seems that there's some finality to this. Is, this. is this the final action, do you think?
2: I mean, within the Seventh Circuit, so here in Indiana, in the state of Wisconsin, and Illinois already had uh, made mm-hmm. same-sex marriage lawful, uh, that same-sex marriage is lawful. With the Supreme Court denying review of the decision out of the Seventh Circuit, uh, that leaves in place that decision, and that essentially struck down the bans in both Indiana and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So, Doug, congratulations, and he'll be yeah, pleased yeah. to know, and I'm sure he knew already, that that uh, that marriage is okay, and and that's uh, the case here within the state. So, unless and until another case bubbles up, and the Supreme Court decides to take it, and at that point declares that the federal constitution doesn't guarantee a right to same-sex marriage and then the states work through what that means for either marriages that have already taken place or going forward uh you know we're pretty much we're at a point where yes mm-hmm. same-sex marriage is lawful here in the state
0: do you, ex- do you expect anything more from the supreme court or- can you predict things like that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have my magic eight ball right here. You know, I, um, you know, it's it's always a little dodgy to predict. I think that it is probably um, not unjustified to look at what happened this week and say, since you need four votes to grant review at the court, uh, but five to win, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there is some concern about what Justice Kennedy, of course, a swing vote on these issues, would do. And um, from the uh, justices who might feel that the federal constitution doesn't guarantee a right to same-sex marriage, uh, they might not have been very confident in what Justice Kennedy was going to do even at this point. Um, And the other justices might have felt fully confident in sitting back, not taking the case now, all of the circuit courts so far that have looked at this issue have struck down bans in the states that they've looked at. Uh, and a number of district courts obviously have done the same and so they might say you know by the time if we either leave it if it ever comes back and we decide to grant review you know we'll have that many more states that have legalized same-sex marriage and it might be easier for the court then uh to say yes you know the tide has shifted the underlying norms have shifted we feel more confident
1: making a constitutional ruling Uh, that's what i was going to ask you Uh, and pardon there is probably a huge pool of underlying ignorance to this question, but as far as the court goes, um, I know that um, when you survey the general public, it is now to the point where more people support gay marriage than don't. It's not a huge margin, but certainly it is a majority now. And
0: it's a growing margin.
1: Yeah, and it's a growing margin. So um, certainly politicians uh, feel that and have responded to that. But what about the court? Does the court... Um, take public opinion into account at all or um, the kind of the, the turning pu- public, yeah, the, the turning mm-hmm. public
2: opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that the court or any of the justices sit around and watch Gallup poll numbers day by day, but what I guess what I would say they, some of them at least, are particularly cognizant of, and particularly in areas of the law where the legal standard or rule is itself based on a sense of community norms. Where there it feels like there has been a shift in community norms, that then is kind of built into the jurisprudence. And so, so Justice Kennedy, for example, when he's looked at death penalty cases and taken a look where the standard is, you know, what is the prevailing sort of community norm about what's uh, is that cruel or unusual punishment, and under what circumstances, you know, we'll look around and say, well, what are states doing? What what do people think is right and good, and how's that expressed in law? And so there may well be something similar uh, here going on um, where he's, you know, I, last year in the Windsor case when he wrote that opinion, you know, on the one hand that opinion talks a lot about marriage being a, a, the province of the states, at least for the purpose of telling the federal government, hey, you shouldn't be defining mm-hmm. marriage, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and states have some constitutional limits on the rules they can set with mm-hmm. respect to marriage. but. Um, but looking at, you know, what are states actually doing? And, um, you know, he may be sort of watching in that sense, okay, are things shifting uh, in terms of just the, the social norms, the cultural shift that you're talking about?
0: Um, before we bring um, Brian and Doug on, I want to ask one more question about this, about these rulings. And and I, I, I wonder, too, and this is probably from ignorance, I mean, how, how much um, stock do the, does the Supreme Court Give to the previous rulings. That is, Judge Posner was pretty direct in his ruling about how the Indi- Indiana and Wisconsin attorneys didn't come close to making their their case.
2: Yeah, he made no bones about that, <laughs> yeah. I would say, either at the argument yeah. or in his opinion. Um, so
0: are you? So the question is, when you know, when the Supreme Court is trying to decide on a case that they want to hear, they see you know Richard Young's ruling, they see mm-hmm. Judge Posner and his other two appeals court, uh, appellate court, uh, the ruling comes out and it's so so strong and so direct. Do they do they weigh that and how how convincing the previous
2: rulings I, are? I mean, without. Without knowing exactly all the discussions, obviously, that went on in the court about this or any of them, (laughs) for that matter, no one was was calling me to describe it late at night. But, um, you know, I I think the court generally does. The justices look at the underlying um, opinions, the petitions for review that they get, asking them Mm -hmm. to take these cases. And they were all strongly worded on all sides. And, again, one of the interesting things, I think one of the reasons why people felt it was surprising the court didn't step in now was that both sides of these cases were saying, "Please take this issue <laughs> to mm-hmm. decide it now." Mm-hmm. Um, so the court had that to rest on if it wanted to um, take the case. Now it didn't have what it, it often has, usually has, which is a circuit level split um, of decision on the underlying legal issue. But um, but sure, they they look and they take a look and say, "What's the you know, uh, what's the strength of the reasoning? What are the issues? Can you know does this reflect?" Uh, and here's where I think a lot of the commentary is focused is the the courts of appeals and the lower federal courts have relied a lot on the Windsor case from last year and Justice Kennedy's decision, which you know, they're saying seems to suggest that we should all give a heightened scrutiny or a closer look at the rationale states are offering for why they have same-sex marriage bans. And so um, I think one thing that the justices might have been looking at is do we need to step in and clarify what Windsor actually meant and would we be able to at this point? You know, who'd be writing that decision, and would it come out any differently? Or is it better to to, to wait? Um, now there are obviously some real impacts of waiting, but uh, and we can, I'm sure we'll be talking about this more. But um, but from the court's standpoint, is it better to wait and get the full bubbling up of how everyone else below has sort of dealt with these issues? and then see if we are going to step in and have the benefit right. of all of that exposition.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so Brian Powell from uh, Sociology. So your, you know, your take on this whole issue, I mean, you've been watching it very closely and you've been doing research on, on the family in particular for what, more than a decade, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, does this surprise you that what's happening now and how rapidly this, that we've come to this place? I'm not surprised now about the changes in public opinion.
3: Um, the when, I, we, when my research team first started conducting interviews around this country, asking people about their views about same-sex couples, same-sex marriage, and issues like that. Um, th- this was in 2003. Um, there was indications from even then that people were changing their minds. We had so many people in the interviews were saying things, I've never thought about this if you ask me this next year, I might have a different view.
0: Mm.
3: And it was always the people who were more conservative were saying, I might change my view. The people who were more liberal were not saying, I might change my view. (laughs) And so it was a clear sign even then that there was going to be some real change going on. Mm-hmm. I didn't predict back then that the change would be that quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Past few years, though, it's just been a remarkable change in public opinion. And you, know, you said earlier that you know, we now are above the 50% mark for same-sex marriage, and we are. And you say it's not that much, and it's not. It's probably – the estimates now are probably between 54 and 57% of people are in favor of same-sex marriage. But you want to put it in perspective in terms of presidential elections. We have not had a president elected since 1985 who had that percentage of votes. But to put it this way, there's greater support for same-sex marriage today than there's been for any president who's been elected since 1985. So, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, it's which may actually tell us something about So, gay
1: marriage (laughs) would be great in the Electoral College. I mean, it (laughs) it would sail right through.
3: Well, Electoral College, but but that's (laughs) actually an interesting point, because the support for same-sex marriage and just general views regarding same-sex couples vary geographically uneven. And to me, one of the most interesting things about this past week is the states that were directly affected, Indiana, for example, Utah. Um, you know Oklahoma. I mean, these are these are not states that these are not states in which I would confidently predict that there would be more than 50% support for same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. I,
0: I, know, I you know I did some research for an editorial I wrote recently, and I think the last Gallup poll that I saw was from June or July, and it was 55%, I think, was said they favored same-sex marriage, but the do-not-favor was was 38%. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. 17 percentage points difference. And in the the group of 18- to 29-year-olds, it was 78% favor the ability of same sex couples to get married. So it's also a generational issue mm-hmm. and the younger generation is it's clearly an acceptable practice yeah. for
3: them. No, so. it's 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 absolutely clear that it's not only is it geographically uneven, it's generationally uneven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this um it's sort of a perverse term. It's called cohort replacement. Mm-hmm. You know, as older people get older and older and aren't around and more young people. Every year there's a new cohort of eighteen year olds who are much more in favor of same sex marriage than people of several generations later. Mm-hmm. So even if there was no one changing his or her mind about same-sex marriage, we will be moving to greater acceptance of same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. But people are changing their mind as well. Sure.
0: Well I want to bring Doug Mellinger on on. on. So Doug, we're talking in here about, you know, Supreme Court decisions, legal decisions. Public policy, and but you're sort of, you're living this. I mean, what do you think when you hear all this discussion about, you know, in a in a sort of academic and philosophical sense?
4: Well, I I am a cynical person by nature. I actually never believed I would see this day happen in Indiana. Uh-huh. Um, I'm glad that I've proved myself wrong. I'm still kind of in a shock that it has happened, um, and still quite emotional about it uh, mm-hmm. because it does. It. I, Actually, I tried to explain this to my sister. I had an instant sense of relief and protection. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, this is just a very simple part of my life now. Um, The sky did not turn black. The rivers didn't run red when I signed a piece of paper marrying my partner. My life went on, and I would hope people could understand that simple part of all this. I'm not out to change their life, and I wish they'd stay out of mine. Mm-hmm. That's the simplest way to put it, for yeah. me I think.
0: <laughs> so um, you you got married on on Monday. Now you know we we said I think in the beginning of the show that you know a lot of people weren't rushing down to clerks' offices on on Monday after after the stay was lifted. Um, that happened sort of previously. So correct. you know, can you talk about your circumstance?
4: Sure. Actually, on Monday, I believe we were one of only seven. Of couples that actually received licenses, uh, we in Marion we County. Of the, mm-hmm. Yes, on yeah. Day. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, I believe, were one of the the only or one of the few that actually had a ceremony performed at uh, downtown mm-hmm. right after we received our license. Um, a friend of mine actually worked there and was deputized and was able to perform the ceremony. Um, a lot of that comes from my wanting to have it done immediately because I don't trust the system, considering what happened last time, (laughs) Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I I missed that window of opportunity. Um, My partner was out of town on vacation and did not make it back before the stay was filed, and we missed the opportunity to do so. So I think I was kind of in panic mode and jumped on the opportunity.
0: Hopefully, what Beth said makes you feel a little bit more secure. <laughs> so.
4: Yeah, and like I said, it's, it's Indiana, and I'm, right. I'm, I don't forget that.
0: Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we have a phone call, and we've been. Uh, Travis has been waiting for about eight minutes for us. So, Travis, go ahead.
1: Hi there. Hi. A question about
5: you
3: know now that you know marriage equality you know has come to the state of Indiana, what do you foresee the direction of the infrastructure of the non non-pro- for profit groups? Um, both for and against, you know, know, I'm sure there's been, you know, with the recent campaigns with the Promoza amendment, there were groups that sprung up both for marriage equality and for traditional marriage. And now that this, you know, at least in the short term has settled itself, what do you think their missions going forward would be? Brian? Yeah, well, I think first thing is it's not completely settled Mm -hmm. and there's still going to be resistance but i the resistance is going to pr- i think is probably going to shift in a direction and we've been seeing this around this country about whether or not people other people have the right to deny services to same-sex couples and i think that's you know if if you if if one just read the responses by people who oppose same-sex marriage in different advocacy groups there was some resignation by some people uh, when they're talking about it and they were moving in the direction of protecting the religious rights of people who have businesses i suspect that's going to be one direction that i think i suspect that's we're going to see a great deal of
1: so this is a very interesting Thing you, you topic you raise. I mean, I'm picturing all of a sudden I'm having a flashback to coloreds only signs, and you know heterosexuals only signs. Is that's that what
3: exact, you're describing. That's, you know, that's exact. Well, not not that, but just we won't serve you. We won't serve you. And you know what you said is exactly what I felt because I'm listening to that. I remi- I remember, you know, being on a high school trip, in which we stopped at a gas station. And uh, I was on the debate team, the debate coach, you know, was getting, you know, we, we, it was a period of time where they actually served gas. And there was a couple, mm-hmm. black couple came by, and the person, the gas station attendant wouldn't serve them. And I said to the coach, we have to leave. We can't stay here. And he says, there's no gas station nearby. We'll be without gas. And I kept on thinking about this couple who, they're not going to have gas either. And it was just normal. It was just accepted. Um, I don't think we'll have the – I hope we won't have the no gay couple signs out there, but we already have seen cases of bakeries, uh, different stores saying that we will not serve. And, um, you know, interesting legal issues I'd leave to Beth to discuss, (laughs) but I suspect this is where the discussion is really going to move to.
2: Yeah. And actually, even with um, the earlier debate uh, preceding the Hobby Lobby decision, which was based on the federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act and posing, you know, what do you do when you have business owners who um, have religious objections to doing certain things that general laws require them to do uh, at the state level? There are a number of states, although Indiana is, isn't one of them, that have state-level religious freedom restoration acts. And over the last couple of years, as Brian's been saying, we've seen in uh, out west in a couple of states, Arizona, New Mexico, and some others cases crop up where businesses have largely um, wanted to rely on either existing statutes like that or to press for changes to those laws to make it easier to refuse generally uh, services to gay couples. You know, as you say, the bakers, the you know, wedding photographers um, was one case. And so it may be that we start to see more of this shift. And some of the uh, academic commentary surrounding the gay marriage debate has looked at, OK, how is how are states that want to change if they want to change legislatively to permit same sex marriage? How might they balance out that with some level of protection for either small business owners or religious individuals to try to um, maintain some ability uh, to not do something that their religion calls on them not to do. And we obviously saw a huge debate over religion and business earlier this, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. year with yes. Hobby Lobby. So, okay. yes,
1: yeah. Travis, did you have any follow-up?
5: No, I bet. Kind of covered pretty much everything I was
1: curious about.
0: Oh, okay. thanks for your call. Thanks, Travis. 855-0811 in Bloomington. 1-877-285-9348. Outside of the Bloomington calling area, and you can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. I, I wanted to bring, I want to pursue that issue a little bit because it sounds like the, you know, in the General Assembly there might be, you know, a movement afoot, or there, that it would be logical that there could be some people that would want to move toward having an Indiana law that would say that. Yet, you know, that would be to protect, you know, religious rights of businesses. But it would be perceived, it seems to me, it would be perceived as, you know, an, again, a, a narrowly written law that would, would not make, make Indiana seem very friendly to same-sex couples, same-sex people. We've already had Cummins, Eli Lilly, the Indy Chamber. A lot of major business groups have said, you know, don't put this in the Indiana Constitution. Would be we'd be setting up another sort of battle like that, where there would be a lot of businesses that would come out and see this as an attack on a certain group of people.
1: And so the whole, Yeah. yeah, the whole constitutional amendment thing is completely off the table at this point. Yes. The Indiana state. Yes, that's what I mean. Absolutely. There yes. has
2: actually been, I think, a few statements out of a couple of nonprofits to Travis's question about pushing for a federal constitutional amendment. But given what Brian just said about uh, public support, I don't think that's going anywhere. So. Mm-hmm.
0: so and Doug, just to get your reaction to that, I mean, you've heard you've heard the arguments and, and you've talked about your cynicism about the state of Indiana. I mean, if if there's a move afoot in the legislature, what's that going to say to you? If there were,
4: um, I think public opinion, as you've stated, has changed to the point that if you're dumb enough to put a sign in your window, you're going to pay for that. Um, mm-hmm. Just business on a business level. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just really think we're at that point that if you're willing to practice that, you're going to pay for it from a business sense. It doesn't make sense to me that if you have any kind of business sense, that you would do that. Although, mm-hmm. when talking about this, you would think we're talking to mature, educated people but it still baffles me that I have to argue this with anybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you'll see signs.
1: <laughs> Doug, do you mind my asking, when you're out with your partner, you live in Indianapolis, um, what's your comfort level on a scale of one to ten, ten being completely comfortable?
4: Um, personally, and I've I struggled with this myself, I'm even at 45 and having been together ten years come July, um, I do not hold my partner's hand in public, even though I would like to. I Personally, still don't feel comfortable with that.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I may at a certain event, or if we're in a seat at, mm-hmm. at a concert. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if I'm in Chicago, I will. Or we enjoy going to Chicago. Mm-hmm. I can hold his hand and walk down the street, and I'll think twice about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, mm-hmm. I just personally don't feel that comfort level here yet in Indianapolis.
1: And I, I'm, I'm interested that you use the you, you qualify that with a yet. Do you think that uh, this change is, is going to uh, expedite um, people's uh, opinions softening, and perhaps you can get to a point where you will feel as comfortable in Indianapolis as you do in Chicago?
4: Um, if it doesn't change for Indianapolis, I think it's going to change for me um, personally, mm-hmm. just because I've, I'm growing as a person.
1: So you feel um, emboldened by this somewhat
4: yeah and i would I would hope that we've evolved to you don't have to appreciate or accept who I am but mm-hmm. I would think as human beings at some point you get to the point you respect people um, you don't have to agree with me but you will respect me and I'll do the same mm-hmm. um, I'm obviously not going to change anyone's mind who's firmly set in that belief whereas it just as they're not going to change mine but I can respect you as a human being and live my life and let you live yours which seems so simple to me but as we know, is not that simple.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, those are really hard personal questions. I appreciate you answering them.
0: All right, Doug, thanks. Thank you for that. And we'll get back to you. And, and our we have another caller online we'll get to after our break. But you're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about the uh, Supreme Court ruling on non-ruling on Monday about same-sex marriage in some cases, including the Indiana case that, went, that was uh, headed that way. Uh, we will be right back.
7: Welcome back
0: to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from The Herald-Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And we're talking about the same-sex marriage today and the fact that it's legal in Indiana uh, after the Supreme Court decided not to hear appeals from five states, including Indiana, in cases trying to ban same-sex marriage. So we have uh, two guests in the studio, Beth Kate, an attorney who teaches in the School of Public and Environmental Affairs, and Brian Powell, the James H. Rudy Professor and Department Chair of the Department of Sociology at Indiana University. And also joining us by phone from Indianapolis is Doug Mellinger. Uh, he is an Indianapolis resident who married his partner, Chris, Monday afternoon after the stay was lifted. So if you want to join the conversation, give us a call at eight five five zero eight one one 811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So before the break, I said we had a phone call, and we do. It's Todd, and he's in Terre Haute. Todd?
5: Yes, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, it's been a great program so far. Most probably saying that I did marry my uh, partner of 12 years on mm-hmm. September 14th in Illinois. Because,
1: Happy anniversary. Thank
5: you very much. <laughs> uh, but in Illinois, because we didn't figure that this would ever happen in Indiana, you know, during our lifetime anyway. Uh, I just have two uh, points, and they're interrelated. Um, one is, a, well, first of all, I don't understand where it is. That people who say they can't bake a cake for someone because of their religion, how they find that in their religion. And I think in America, most of the time, we're talking about Christianity. So I don't know what book of the Bible includes not baking a cake for someone or not providing uh, a bed and breakfast service for someone who is, who is gay. Uh, the second question I would have is noticing that in you know, 1964, when the Civil Rights Act was passed, I wonder if it could be even imaginable that in 1964, after it was passed and in the great rush of civil liberty that that engaged, that anyone would even think to introduce a bill including uh, for religious freedom that would allow business owners and corporations to discriminate on the basis of their religion and create a giant loophole in the the, uh, new Civil Rights Act. I mean, I can't imagine that would even have been considered back then, so I guess my question is. What's the difference between then and now? Why is that suddenly even something we can even discuss?
2: Well, let me, uh, let me try and take a crack at that. Um, so the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that uh, we were talking about before, uh, the federal level one, that's the one that was at issue in Hobby Lobby, um, that's a reaction to a change in Supreme Court law that came after actually the, the Civil Rights Act quite a number of years after. So for a, a long time, the, the Supreme Court had read the Free Exercise of Religion Clause in the First Amendment to say you have to you basically, if you're the government and you want to take action, that's going to place a, a great burden on someone's exercise of their religion and they want an exception to the law because it conflicts with their faith. And the government has to show a really strong reason for doing that and why it can't grant that accommodation. Uh, the Supreme Court changed that rule in 1990 and said all the government really needs to show is it's got sort of a, a rational basis and a legitimate reason for doing this and, and people, even if it conflicts with their faith more or less have to comply with laws of general applicability. Then That was a very unpopular decision by the Supreme Court and Congress in a big bipartisan move uh, and President Clinton and signed it into law, passed this Religious Freedom Restoration Act basically to say no, we're going to voluntarily impose a greater burden on the government to show why that laws which most people are happy to comply with and it's perfectly fine. But if an individual comes forward and says, but this really conflicts with my faith, can the government show a strong reason why it still needs that person to comply? And for things like racial discrimination, obviously a huge focus of the Civil Rights Act, um, I think it would be virtually impossible, going back to our earlier conversations, if someone put to someone, For someone to put up a sign in a window right now in a business saying, you know, black people need not come through the door and be served um, because that's not going to fly. We have a very strong public policy, which the courts have already recognized, um, that supersedes uh, religious sentiments that races should be separated, for example. Um, what what we haven't had because we don't have the same level of federal anti discrimination protection for sexual orientation at least not yet. Uh, I'll say m- one thing more on that in a second. Um, is is how is this going to play out with religious freedom and religious opposition to same sex marriage um, if a couples don't want to serve, or if businesses don't want to serve gay couples in the context of their At whatever services they're offering. Now, one thing that's been interesting throughout as sort of a sideline to the same-sex marriage cases has been the times where people who oppose same-sex marriage and who have been arguing before the court, including the attorney for Prop 8 last year in the Perry case, um, was asked point blank by one of the justices, is there any other walk of life other than marriage in which the state uh, or the government has a legitimate reason for treating people differently based on sexual orientation or that empl- or employment or any of these other walks of life. And he said no. <laughs> now that's not binding on anyone but it is a, an indication and I think we've seen bits and pieces of that in other arguments where um, although we don't have legal protection uh, at the federal level uh, and many states still for uh, discrimination based on sexual orientation, there seems to be this sort of recognition that growing that that's not really legitimate either. So, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully that <laughs> that helped to answer your question. I, I
5: appreciate it. I was really kind of looking at Sorry. the cultural difference between 1964, abuse of the African American civil liberties mm-hmm. and 2014 and gay rights and where we are there. And of course it's gonna vary from small towns versus large towns, mm-hmm. uh, but I guess the main question about the, like the Employment Non-Discrimination Act is how do we get that through Congress passed
0: of Boehner and the House. Yeah, I don't know if we can answer that. You p- may have stumped the panel this, right? on that <laughs> one, Todd.
1: <Right. laughs> right.
0: Well, I, I think, I mean, to, to follow up on what Todd's talking about, I mean, I think this is a, it's an interesting issue with a lot of, certainly very complex, you know, legal wrinkles, but I think, you know, uh, uh, just to an individual that says, well, you know, where, how do does a court determine when there's a legitimate um, religious freedom at stake here? Because if, a, if someone says, well, in my Bible, it says that homosexuality is bad, but, you know, in some other faith, it says, you know, eating a pig is bad. So I'm not going to serve people who eat pigs in my restaurant. I mean, how, how do you make those kind of determinations?
2: Well, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question after Hobby Lobby, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that came out of that case were a lot of questions about what sort of accommodations are going to be required under the statute, okay, going forward. So we're not talking about a constitutional imperative here, but um, and and a statute's written by Congress. A statute can be changed by Congress if, as Todd says, you know, Congress can react. And I appreciate. Um, the the challenge of that, both at the federal level, but also in state legislatures. But that's, you know, there was a a barrage of hypotheticals during the argument Mm -hmm. in the Hobby Lobby case about, well, what if the next employer doesn't want to cover vaccines? Or what about gelatin which is made with, um, you know, animals that are are unclean in certain religions and you can go on and on and on. And other than um, uh, invoking a religious opposition to serving people of different races, which like I said, I think is not going to fly and no one anticipates it will, you know, there may still be a a spectrum of things that we're going to have to deal with on a case-by-case basis unless the underlying statutes alter to, you know, kind of eliminate these issues.
0: Mm All right. All right, well,
5: thank you very much. Appreciate
0: all, it. All right, Todd. Thanks for the call. 855 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. I, I want to be clear that I, I know nothing about what the Indiana State House might do, That whether there's anybody that's would even consider um, trying to, to – To move forward with that kind of bill but uh, you know it just seems like it's anything's possible so i mentioned that so we wanted to talk a little bit uh, with brian about you know the idea of, of kids i mean kids get brought up into this discussion quite a bit and you know what's whether there should i mean i think we've gone way beyond the idea of whether or not Gay couples should be able to adopt, but you know, in some of the arguments, and you know, Posner certainly hit on this one was the idea of, of procreation and and you know whether that's a valid reason for banning same-sex marriage. So, can you just talk about the research you've done and in the family and, and same-sex couples that have families and children and just sort of in general, give us a a primer.
3: Sure, um, I, sh- I should note that. Posner actually pointed out an interesting contradiction in Indiana. And the interesting contradiction was that, you know, the claim of the state is that same-sex couples can't have children. (laughs) But they also noted that Indiana has an unusual law regarding first cousins, that first cousins over the age of 60 or 65 are allowed to get married precisely because they cannot have children. This is an interesting contradiction. Um, The question about children is one that many people who have – has become the new mantra, actually, among people who have opposed same-sex marriage. And it's actually a fairly new argument. In our interviews, people just didn't mention that in 2003 or 2006 or even 2010. But past couple years, this has become a big discussion on it. And right now, the research, you know, there, there will be varying research on the topic. But the general consensus of scholars on this topic, and this includes American Psychological Association, the American Sociological Association, various other organizations, is the evidence is pretty clear that there's relatively no difference or there's minimal difference coming from a same se- having same-sex parents versus having heterosexual parents. There's just. Minimal difference. The differences are you know are, are, are some that could possibly be predictable, but they're really, really minor differences. So that's just general point. There doesn't appear to be much of a difference. Now, I'm actually a little surprised by that because same sex couples right now, until recently, children did not their parents who are same sex couples were not didn't have the legal rights of marriage. and to me, having the legal rights of marriage will provide certain things for children that they wouldn't have otherwise. So, to to me, the the, the question that people kept on saying is, well, same-sex marriage is going to be bad for children, I keep on asking a different question. And that is, children who have same-sex parents, are they better off? If, they have, if their parents are married or not. Mm. And it seems to me that marriage provides certain types of legitimacy, certain types of connectedness, certain types, you know, uh, basically it enables people to feel, or to feel and be treated more like, quote, a family.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, um, I have some friends, a gay couple, uh, they have a son, um, but uh, the one who is not the birth parent, even though they are legally married, the one who is not the birth parent had to adopt right. the, the child to be considered a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that's going to go away, or is that going to continue as far as... If you're not, if you didn't physically give birth to a child, you still have to adopt it.
3: Well, I'm not a legal scholar, so yeah. I'll what leave it to Beth. Do, do you, you
1: have any idea, Beth? I, mean, <laughs> I this, really don't. I, you no. know, I don't
2: know the answer to that one at all because um, um, I just, I don't know how the adoption laws in that regard play out here. So, all
0: right. all right. Again, our phone number is 855-0811, 1-877-285-9348, and you can join a live chat at wfiU.org slash noon edition I wanted to go back to to Doug you know we've been talking about this whole family issue I mean what why what is what are the most important reasons why you wanted to make sure and you know and get married
4: um, one of the reasons I come from a very religious family who even though they love and support me and my partner at times do not believe we have the right to be married and when you sit down and speak to people and explain to them that there are protections that and i'm surprised we don't hear more of this just from a property standpoint the laws of indiana joint partner or ownership of property if one of us was to pass the amount of tax that we would be responsible to come up for to keep your own home that's a big reason for us we own um, several properties and quite honestly if one of us was to pass which we all do um legitimately we would not be able to come up with that money to do so and when you put it in those terms to a family member, do you think it's right that if I or Chris were to pass, we would lose our home, they think twice about, well, no, that's not fair. Um, But that is a, that was a real problem and a real, you had to plan ahead for that. Mm -hmm. And even with legal help and even with legal planning, you're still going to end up paying money on your own property that you may or may not be able to come up with. And Mm -hmm. therefore, lose your home and your stability.
1: So uh, what about with health care decisions and being there for your now spouse? Is, is that something that's giving you uh, a sense of relief too that you won't have to uh, run into any problems? It, it, should there be a hospital visit or something like that?
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, just within the last four years, uh, my partner went through a life-threatening car accident, which mm-hmm. involved three months of recovery and also a, a bout with cancer oh. that luckily all has come through well. But with all that stress going on, I carried my envelope of paperwork and legal forms and had my attitude ready to go if anybody wanted to question while I was there. And that's the last thing you want to worry about when you're going through things like that. But it was a, it's a fact of life that you will run across people that will push that button mm-hmm. because of their religious belief or just the fact that they want to push your button. So they you don't agree with
1: so you had wisely gone through the steps of being uh, named his health care representative ahead of time. Correct. Yes, okay. Um,
4: which is another, you know, to go through all that, it's another huge financial expense that, say, a sibling of mine was to get married. They don't have to do that. They mm-hmm. don't have to worry about simple things that we all take for granted. So when people say you don't need to be married, there's nothing, you don't, the rights aren't any different for you, that's completely not true. And most people, I don't think, understand that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Doug, I also wanted to get your reaction to uh, the things that Brian was saying about, you know, his research about children. You know, I'm sure you've heard that before. You know, issues that people people would, you know, make a, you know, some kind of comment or try to make an argument that, well, it's not good for kids to have same sex parents. You know, what's your reaction to what Doug was talking about and what he's found out?
4: Um. Like I said, I'm a very cynical person. I actually mm-hmm. work a part-time job that allows me to be cynical in a cabaret atmosphere. Uh-huh. And I, my <laughs> comment always is um, up till now straight people keep making gay babies. So I don't <laughs> you know how that's our fault. Um, my parents were definitely not gay. Um, I actually was raised in a religion that cured gays and lesbians and had exorcisms done on me at an early age. And the joke is they obviously did not work. Um, so I've I've been on both sides of this mm-hmm. I've lived it in more more ways than one mm-hmm. so I really at this part of my age in my life I really don't have time to even argue such stupidity uh, yeah um, okay and that's, that's where
0: I'm at <laughs> okay that's pretty clear all right so um Beth so what do you what do you predict will be next I mean is there going to be some
2: well, what's I mean? What's happening right now? We actually, the day after um, Monday's denial of review in the Seventh Circuit and Tenth and Fourth Circuit cases, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals out west um, uh, struck down Idaho's and Nevada's state bans on same-sex marriage. Nevada's already said they're not going forward with trying to defend that any further or seek review mm-hmm. at the Supreme Court. Idaho has asked the Supreme Court to both uh, review the case and stay the. Um, Ninth Circuit's mandate to go ahead and start allowing same-sex marriages in the state. Um, I don't know if anything's happened in the last couple hours, but uh, the opposition to Idaho's request for the court uh, was filed last night, so we'll wait and see, and that's with, I think, Justice Kennedy. Um, So I, I don't particularly anticipate, I mean, the heavy argument there was, hey, you didn't take, you know, a couple of days ago these other cases, which you know, pose all of the issues you might otherwise want to take up and decide what's different, you know, two days down the road. Um, So I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon. Uh, There has been a district court in Louisiana which upheld that state's same-sex marriage ban. And I guess the question is whether the Fifth Circuit or the Sixth Circuit, as Brian mentioned before, some circuits going to um, uh, come out differently than what we've seen before and whether that will prompt the Supreme Court to get involved. But I do think it, it, Gets harder over time for the reasons we talked about before, um, and uh, you know, not even just undoing marriages like Doug's, which have taken place in the interim, because it may be that everything's grandfathered in, but but to sort of dive in when there's more evidence, a year or worth more of evidence, that the sky's not falling, you know, the uh, skies aren't raining blood, or however (laughs) very colorfully put it, Um, you know, because one of the main arguments, if you go back to the Seventh Circuit, besides the arguments about kids and what the purpose of marriage is, um, was also, well, gee, we have to move slowly and the courts have to let us move slowly as states, Uh, And I think the Seventh Circuit asked, what are you anticipating might happen that is bad that you want the time to evaluate or, you know, review? And really, and this was mostly to the Wisconsin attorney, he couldn't give an answer to that. And he just could not come up with what that perceived potential harm would be. And so if it turns out that another year goes by and the kids are all right, you know, as Brian says, and everything's good, then it just becomes harder for... Uh, I, I would think for the court, which already seems like it doesn't think you know, it's gonna be able to take this and overturn, uh, you know, these courts have been striking down bans. I don't know how they're gonna do that.
0: One thing that struck me is, is this has been kind of like a history lesson in, you know, in, in the, the way the court system is set up, the federal court system is set up, although I, don't, I think I'd get about a C right now. <laughs> so, I mean, in Indiana, so we have, we have the, the, the court decision by Judge Young the, the mm-hmm. district decision, right. and then the state of Indiana appealed that to the, to the Seventh To the district? Seventh Circuit. Seventh yeah. Circuit, mm-hmm. right. So in Louisiana, we're at the district level where that decision mm-hmm. was made?
2: Yes, and now appealed to Seventh circuit. So right. it's appealed to their circuit. Yeah, so, exactly.
0: so their circuit may or may not have a different outcome than the Seventh Circuit.
2: Right, we don't okay. know, yeah, until right. they rule. One thing that's been interesting, though, is that when you get circuits that cover more states than mm. the cases that have come up yet, decision in the circuits, like the 10th Circuit and the 4th Circuit, there are other states in those circuits. And so the question is, what are they doing about this? So, you know, in the 4th Circuit, that includes the two Carolinas. And I believe both of their governors or, or uh, and maybe their state's attorneys general have said, hey, we're, we're not changing what we do based on the 4th Circuit decision unless and until our specific state laws are uh, challenged and successfully um, struck down uh, mm-hmm. at the circuit so that mm-hmm. we're gonna wait. And similarly, perhaps, with mm-hmm. some of the states elsewhere in the Ninth Circuit and the mm-hmm. 10th, And you know. Um, so we'll just kind of have to see how that plays out. Colorado in the 10th Circuit looked at the 10th Circuit's decision out of Utah and Oklahoma, and they said, that's it, we're done. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> it applies to, and you know, if the reasoning is the same, if the laws are the same, mm-hmm. then it's harder for a state to say, well, what my circuit did doesn't really apply to me.
0: So. And how many circuits are there? And, and what's sort of the scoreboard uh, look like? There
2: are, a, there are 11 circuits. Mm-hmm. Well, there are really 13, but two are specialized. One's just for the District of Columbia, mm-hmm. and one is a federal circuit, which has a different a specialized jurisdiction. Um, and right now we have three, four circuit court decisions, 9th, 10th, fourth and seventh uh, which have all found on either equal protection grounds or due process grounds or a combination of both mm-hmm. that same-sex marriage bans are unlawful unconstitutional mm-hmm. and uh, we're waiting on the rest <laughs> so mm-hmm. to see what happens there
3: right but some of the circuits are are covering states that already have legalized same-sex marriage so exactly. in New England for example right, right there wouldn't be any court case on that mm-hmm. or, or, it,
2: Right. If you don't have, right, exactly. If you don't have, uh, if, if every state in your um, circuit has a legalized same-sex marriage, then who's going to be, no. uh, you know, bringing a challenge? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the ones that still have bans uh-huh. within them that okay. still have the potential and the actuality, actually, of challenges. There are like 80 cases, I think, wending their way through the courts
1: right now. Mm-hmm. Brian, how will these kind of cataclysmic changes uh, affect your research?
3: You know, it's an interesting thing. I, You know, it's one of those I, – I, I, when, when the c- case came out this week, I'm doing a data collection effort this summer, and I had all these anticip- plans of, okay, Supreme Court's going to make a decision. It's going to make a decision in June probably. I'll be able to at- interview people in May and then interview them again right after June. And then this decision comes out, and it's like, oh, my God, my research agenda has disappeared. <laughs> and I was so glad – about that, yeah. I was so glad about it. You know, there's always a new project to work on. Yeah. and uh, But it is going to change things. What I'm going to be interested in, it, though, in, in one thing I'm, I'm really curious about is I think there's this block of people out there who are either slightly in favor or slightly opposed. They just want it over with. They just want the decision. And I think- The enough these, already crowd. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what it is, enough. Why are you even having a show on this right now? Mm-hmm. That would be it. Mm-hmm. And my take is those are people who are going to then move towards greater acceptance. And so, so, so the people who don't really care are going to, they're going to gravitate a little bit more to the pro side because that's what the laws are. Because that's another thing we know. If if there's something, if there's a decision, if there are laws, people tend to say, well, that's the law, and they and they alter their views, or a, a large enough number of people do. So we're I anticipate that we can certainly hit over sixty some percent by next year. We could.
6: Really, in interesting. Terms of approval. interesting.
0: Doug, we have a couple more minutes left in the program. I just wanted to ask you, you know, from, again from a very practical standpoint. I mean, what things since you've been married on Monday? I mean, are there specific things that you Are doing now have had to do like in terms of paperwork and variety of things that have have you know have basically opportunities that have opened up to you.
4: Uh, We're still a question still lingers with my partner's uh, employment. They have not offered same sex partner benefits up to this time. Um, They are every year their answer has been we just don't offer that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are curious if that's going to change across the state if instantly. They will have to honor that. I don't know if any of you could address that. Um, now that we are legally married, am are, are I automatically now available for that? Um, Beth are they one. still able to yeah. hold out for that? 30 seconds, Beth. Oh, 30 seconds, you know?
2: all right. Well, I mean, if the, if the benefits are keyed to spousal status, then you're a spouse. So I would assume that, you know, that what would flow is access to the benefits.
0: And it could easily be a lawsuit if somebody didn't for that <laughs> yeah.
2: I, 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 I imagine it could. yeah I mean I, <laughs> you know it would just depend on what the benefits are key to, but if it's a spousal status then I don't see why you sure. wouldn't be. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. All right. Hey, we're gonna have to go now Doug but, but I do appreciate it. congratulations to you.
4: Thank you so much. Thank you all for having me. Mm
0: -hmm. Thanks to Doug Mellinger, who's in in Indianapolis, and also to Beth Kate and Brian Powell, who are here in the studio with us for producer Lacey Scarmana, engineer Mike Pashkash, and Mary Catherine Carmichael, my partner. Um, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.
7: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and The Herald-Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville
0: Communications, serving Southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net.
1: And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined. Addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life, publichealth.indiana.edu.